that the males were named first and then the female was named secondarily. So, the, so we had Aaron and Moses named, Aaron being older than Moses, and then we had uh, Miriam named. But it is fair to conclude that Miriam is the older sister because the story that we're going to have a little look at to start with when we, uh, and, uh, we think about Miriam is a familiar story, Moses in the bulrushes. And what happens in that story is that we know there's a, an older sister. So here we find a Miriam. And uh, let's read from Exodus 2. If you can see the words clearly enough, they're not huge, but if you can see them clearly enough, please feel free to read along. If you can't, that's not a problem, or you don't want to, that's not a problem at all either. Let's read uh, this story together. There are four slides. Okay, so starting from um, the beginning of Exodus in chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter, sorry, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to understand how to apply it and to live it out in our lives. Amen? And here we see this beautiful story in which Miriam plays a vital role in the redemption story of Moses. The babies were, uh, the, the, the male babies were being killed by the Egyptians and, and so this baby was being hidden away for fear of his life uh, and the, his mum decided to put him in a basket and put him in the river and to see what the Lord might do. Miriam goes down to the riverside and Miriam plays this vital role in his redemption. It's a remarkable redemption, rescued from certain death at the hands of the Egyptians through the waters of redemption with his big sister Miriam at his side. And Miriam courageously plays her part in this rescue mission, not knowing the one that they were going to be sharing together in the future. Little did Miriam know that one day she would be standing shoulder to shoulder with her brother, her brothers as they delivered the people of Israel out of of Egypt out of slavery out of captivity and they were going to free them uh, through the Red Seas that was going to part and they were going to walk through on dry land but here we see a, a, a big sister doing a big sister thing she's protecting her brother she's feeling uh, kindness and, and love towards him and she goes down to the river it says to see what would happen and the narrative here shows us that God's redemptive purpose can unfold in the most remarkable ways. 
Who knows, how God knows how this story was going to unfold. But who knows what you might have achieved, what you might have sown in terms of God's redemptive purposes just by doing some of the things. She was just being a big sister and going and looking after her brother. And uh, she had a wonderful idea. She, she was sent to see what would happen, but she ended up having a spark of genius. I think it's a spark of genius. And her ingenuity enabled Moses not only to be rescued from the water, but enabled him to be nursed by his own mother. Not only was he going to be nursed by his own mother, his mother was going to be paid for the privilege of nursing her own child. Does that sound like a good deal? Church, you know, if you know me by now, you know I like a bargain. And here we see God doing a wonderful bargain, a great deal for Moses' family. And so her ingenuity, her care for her brother, her presence in that moment, her big sistering opened up the door for this wonderful redemption and rescue of her baby brother. There was no formula milk available, but God made sure that Moses was provided for much more beautifully than that ever could. Amen? We don't know if Pharaoh's daughter ever knew that she was the nurse. We don't, we don't get that insight unless I, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But we don't know whether Pharaoh's daughter found out that it was actually Moses' mum that, uh, that was looking after him, that was nursing him. But Moses clearly became aware in later years. Um, here we see a story which tradition suggests has been written by Moses. And I'm sure it would have been Miriam that was telling him the story. I'd love to have been there when Miriam was telling Moses the story of how God had rescued him from the bulrushes and allowed him and enabled him to be nursed by his own mother. I would love to have shared in that moment with them as they laughed. I mean, they must have been laughing. Ah, Pharaoh let your mum, he paid your mum to nurse you. Oh, anyway. Sorry. I would love to have been there as they were telling that story. But what we need to know about this moment is that this was an extremely tough trial and an extremely tough test. This baby was going to be killed. And God is at work in the toughest of testing times to fulfill his redemptive plan. If you feel like you're going through something that is unbearably painful or difficult or challenging today, I want you to know that God, whether it's a big sister in your ear or whether it's some other way that God will be providing and working his plan out, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with today, the Lord is at work. He's working out his redemptive plan and his redemptive purposes in your life. Matthew Henry talks about this passage and says, Thus, that which most often our fear proves in the issue, most our joy. I.e., that thing which we are most afraid of and the most difficult thing we're going through becomes the, the, the point that leads to our greatest joy. Observe the beauty of providence. Just at the time when Pharaoh's cruelty rose to this height, the deliverer was born. Though he did not appear for many years after, note, when men are projecting the church's ruin, God is preparing for its salvation. 
And we look at the world around us and we, we often, uh, the, the, the danger is we can feel intimida- intimidated or at fear of what's going on in culture because it just seems to be so uh, against God and against God's ways. But I want you to know that God is at work in all of it. God is, God is our deliverer, he's our rescuer, and he will fulfill his redemptive plan in our, in our age. God is preparing for our Salvation in the middle of our darkness and the challenges that we faced. And uh, so we see this, this beautiful story where Miriam, her ingenuity, her care of her brother, her presence in the situation, her obedience to go and, uh, and look after her brother down by the river leads to a redemption that we later see leads to the great redemption of all of God's people. And it's years later before we actually find Miriam's name in Scripture. And it's at that point of the crossing of the Red Sea. Israel's great and victorious escape from Egypt. Sorry for the spelling mistakes on the slides this morning. The first great song of salvation. And this, I have to confess, is one of the reasons why Miriam has uh, always caught my attention in Scripture. Because as somebody who loves to sing, somebody who loves... music and to lead worship and be involved in worship, um, to, to discover the first song that we see in scripture um, has always sort of captured my attention. So uh, that's why uh, I might be conscious of, of Miriam as a character. It says in Exodus and chapter 15, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. And we can share in the same song of release from captivity, of release from slavery. We're no longer slaves to fear or to sin or to the things that once constrained us because Jesus Christ has broken the chains of death and sin and fear. He has given us everything we need in order to overcome those things. So we can share in the song of salvation, but there's no song of salvation without having something to be saved from. And we go through, we we, we have to understand that we all need salvation. We all need to receive God's forgiveness and his grace from uh, the, the sins that we have, the things that we've done in our own way instead of God's way. But also we need to recognize this in our lives as we go through challenges and difficulties. The song of salvation comes when God delivers us through the waters of salvation. And we don't get detailed insight into Miriam's intervening years between rescuing, uh, helping rescue her brother uh, in the Nile and then between then and what takes place when Israel is rescued from Egypt. We don't get a lot of detail in that. But we know that Israel were captive and they were enslaved. If you feel captive and enslaved this morning, Jesus Christ wants to set you free. And in the same way as Miriam and Aaron and Moses were able to deliver the people of God from Egypt, Jesus is able to deliver us from everything, that, that, from death, from fear, from sin, from all, all those things which, in, which can so easily uh, distract and destroy our lives. 
God, Jesus Christ wants to set us free. He is now our deliverer. And as I was looking for confirmation this week about um, uh, sharing this, now following the service, one of uh, the members of our congregation, Hugh, is going to do a little performance. Um, we're going to take a break at the end of the service for so 10 minutes. You can get your cup of tea and coffee. If you need to leave uh, desperately, then you can do so. But uh, Hugh's been asking for a while if he can uh, share a, a dance, a, a mime dance that he has, uh, which goes along to a worship song. And the words of that worship song uh, say, How majestic are you, Lord? And so when I just had this feeling, when I looked up the song of Moses and Miriam in Exodus, which is what I was thinking about talking about, that that word majestic would come up. Uh, and so, of course, I typed it in, and here we go. In the middle of that song, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Amen? At this point, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam have led the people of uh, of, of Israel out of Egypt and they'd left a land with over 2,000 gods and goddesses. This is not just uh, a meaningless kind of nice phrase to say. Who is like you, O Lord? Who among the gods of, that have been created by humankind? Who is like you? No one is like you, Lord. Majestic in your holiness. And today's culture is full of false gods. They may not be as obvious, they may not be calling themselves gods, but our culture is full of material, uh, personal and celebrity uh, and, and of spiritual gods that people are looking to for their hope, they're looking to for, for all of their life, all of their lives are invested in these things, it's the thing that they want more than anything else, if only I could get my five minutes of fame on X Factor, whatever else it is, these things have set themselves up. There's nothing wrong with having five minutes of fame on X Factor if the glory goes to God. But it's, it's these things when they consume us, when they become our goal, when they become that thing which we desire above everything, including God. Because there is no one like our God. And there is no one can, who can fulfill us and give us everything we need other than Christ himself Christ has revealed God's very nature and his being. He's become the word made flesh walking among us. And he is at work today in all things. So then we come specifically to the bit which mentions Miriam. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with, timbrel, with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Miriam was a prophet. Miriam, she's described here as Miriam the prophet. Wonderful. A bringer of the word of God, one of God's messengers, somebody who hears what God is saying and communicates it to people in a way that they can understand. She was a noted leader in Israel and she was the first woman to bear the title of prophet in history, according to the scriptures. And she continued as an influential leader for Israel alongside her brothers 
She served alongside them. She led alongside them. She delivered the word of God alongside her brothers. Let's be very clear that she was considered to be a prophet among the people of Israel. So for these years, she did lead diligently and they did see God at work. But the next time, the other major story in which we hear about Miriam we find out that she messed up through pride and prejudice. I mean, I don't know what you want to read into that. I mean, I don't know if if there's something. But she acted with pride and she acted with prejudice. And she brought upon herself the judgment of God. And she had to uh, be cleansed and atoned from her sin. Let's read the story and... Uh, I'm not going to say masses about it afterwards, but I'm going to read the whole story because it speaks for itself, to be honest. There's not much uh, else to elaborate other than just uh, the story as it, as it rolls. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked in a sarcastic way. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of earth. Who wrote the book of Numbers? Anyway, you will get different theories about, uh, to answer that question. However, um, we misunderstand it if we think that Moses is trying to point towards himself. He's, trying to, he's talking about the circumstances of his life. He understood where he came from. He understood who he was before God. So he was a humble man. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, Reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. Is that working? This is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. You see, there was nothing in the Jewish law that would forbid Moses from marrying a Cushite lady. There were people groups that he was, he was not, they were, they were, people were not to marry uh, Canaanites. There were other people groups that they were instructed not to marry. And so we can only think, uh, because in this scenario, and we're a few years on from from uh, the stories that, uh, uh, of Moses' earlier life, we can only speculate from this scenario that Miriam and Aaron had taken offence or taken umbrage at the fact that Moses was, that somebody from outside of their, their usual expected 
fold, the people that they might look at and usually expect to God to speak through, had been taken in to Moses' life and had his ear and was influential in Moses' life. So they're acting with prejudice and they're also acting with pride. Well, God can speak through me. God's spoken through me before. Why, why must everybody just listen to what Moses has to say? Now, this may be where we get an insight into the sibling scenario because remembering Moses is the young, younger one. Anybody, anybody else in the room a younger sibling? I'm a younger sibling, yeah. There's a few younger siblings around. Well, obviously in this scenario, perhaps the older siblings are a little bit fed up with the, the little brother being the main man. And they take offense and they act with pride and they question. They're basically saying, God, why would you just speak? Why can't you do this? They wanted their own attention. They wanted to be known as the mouthpiece of God themselves. But we need to let God choose how God is going to speak. Through whom, how, and when. It is up to him. And they were presuming to second-guess God and to tell God how he should be doing things. So when we act out of pride, when we act out of selfish ambition, when we act out doing things our own way, then there are consequences. And for Miriam, the consequences were severe. She had this leprous skin condition. The word for leprous would, could represent actually any, not just what we know as leprosy. It could represent any number of skin conditions in Scripture at that, at that, in that age. So it could have been any number of skin conditions. But she obviously felt and knew immediately the consequences of her actions. Thankfully, God is merciful. God is kind. And God restores. So a little bit further down, we, say that Mir- we see that Miriam was confined outside of the camp for seven days. But that she was restored and that she was healed. But we find out that the people did not move on until she was brought back. God is a God of justice, God of righteousness. And we need to know that when God acts and when God moves, it's not always comfortable. And for Miriam, the gravity of what she had done was seen in the consequences The justice and the consistency of God is also seen in Miriam's healing and in her restoration. God is merciful. Miriam is healed. And she she is allowed to move forward with the people. And I'm sure between Moses, Aaron and Miriam, they got over this misunderstanding, this failure, and they moved on. But what's interesting is that people would not move forward without her. One of the commentaries I read this week suggested that that was a show of the esteem that the people held for Miriam, that they didn't want to move forward, they didn't want to carry on without her. So we see that Miriam had her failures, but that she was a key leader in the redemption of the Lord's people, Israel. In Micah 6, verse 8, I'm not sure what verse it is, Micah 6, says, I bought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. She's mentioned among those great leaders of Israel by the prophet Micah. She's mentioned as, as 
as one of those great leaders who rescued and redeemed God's people from Israel. And I came across this uh, um, article about Miriam. It says, she is a child of God with an important role to play as one of the three deliverers of Israel from Egypt, as well as the namesake of the mother of Jesus. And further down it says this, consider the parallels between Miriam in the Hebrew scriptures and Mary in the gospels. Besides sharing the same name, both protect the savior of Israel in Egypt, uh, one protecting Moses, one protecting Jesus. Both write and sing songs to tell of God's salvation and their placement is important. Miriam, oh, sorry, Miriam is at the beginning of the story of Israel as well as Mary at the beginning of the story of the renewed Israel through our Savior, Jesus. So as we've seen so often, as we've looked at the characters that we've looked at through this series, they point us to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. The story of salvation, the story of God's redemptive purposes, the story of Scripture, the story of what is going on in the earth, it all points to Jesus. And like Miriam, we have the opportunity today in our day and age to play our part in people's salvation stories, to help people find redemption, to bring people to Jesus, to point them towards him and help him to find them. So I want you to know this morning that God chooses you. God chooses to work in you. God chooses to work through you. Don't rule yourself out because you don't look like a prophet might normally look. Don't doubt that God is at work even in your season of captivity or your season of exile. Do not try and tell God how he should be doing things. Do be aware that God is at work for our redemption in every and any situation. Do be ready to hear and communicate what God is saying and be ready to play your role in God's great redemption, salvation story that is still unfolding, that is still happening, that is still uh, being, being manifest on the earth. Let's pray together.